Welcome to The Workplace, where we talk about the cultures we work in and how to make them better for everyone. I'm Andrew Scarcella. This episode, we're talking with Erica Keswin about her latest book, Rituals Roadmap, which reveals the power rituals have to connect us to purpose and power us to new levels of performance. Join us after the interview for Tangible Takeaways, where we'll talk about the ideas and actions we can take with us and implement in our own workplace cultures. Erica Keswin is a best-selling author, internationally sought-after strategist and speaker, and founder of The Spaghetti Project, a roving ritual devoted to sharing the science and stories of relationships at work. She was named one of Marshall Goldsmith's Top 100 Coaches of 2021, as well as Business Insider's Most Innovative Coaches of 2020. Her first appearance on The Workplace was in Season 1 to discuss her first book, Bring Your Human to Work. And this time, she's back with her second book, Rituals Roadmap, The Human Way to Transform Everyday Routines into Workplace Magic. Erica was interviewed by Megan Stetler, a director at the O.C. Tanner Institute, and perhaps the most composed on-camera presence I've seen this side of Tom Brokaw. Hi, Megan. Welcome to The Workplace. Well, hi, Andrew. I loved that little musical introduction. That was phenomenal. Yeah, well, it helps to have a composer on staff, doesn't it? Ah, you can't. can't, I love composers. And just those little tiny notes just make all the difference in creating the mood. So we're here to talk about the webinar that you hosted with Erica Keswin, who's a guest uh, back on season one of The Workplace. But before we get to that, there's a little first-timer hazing we have to do. Oh, boy. What was your first job? Where did you start? Oh, wow. Yeah, that takes me back some years, Andrew. Uh, You know, when I think about my very first paying job, taxes out kind of a job, Um, it really started actually when I was 15 years old and I got hired on as an actress to be on a stage in Ogden, Utah, in this beautiful, beautiful theater called the Egyptian theater. There's so much historic value. There's, I think about a dozen of them around the country, but it's just a gorgeous theater. If you, if you Google the theater, you just have these amazing Egyptian pillars across the stage, the, 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 the ceiling of the Egyptian theater is a star cast. It is just the most gorgeous, gorgeous theater. And so I was hired on to do summer stock. Essentially, they had a new artistic director in town. He brought in a lot of uh, equity actors from Broadway, from television. And here I am, you know, a 15 year old uh, on the stage with a lot of these people that had great experience. And so it was just a phenomenal summer. We had a live orchestra. That's something that's also very hard to come by. And so Phenomenal choreography, amazing music direction. The music director went on to uh, music direct uh, various touring Broadway shows, et cetera. So it was just a phenomenal opportunity, a phenomenal summer. And, and, you know, it teed me up for the rest of the summers down the road when I was in high school. I could save money for college. It was was great. And luckily, you know, I, I went and tried some voice lessons. And by the time I was 15, something just kind of clicked. And it was like, oh. I've got vibrato. I've got range. Maybe this, maybe this is meant to be. And it was, it was a lot of fun years after that. 
Well, I hope we can get you to feature your vibrato. It's a little oh. hard on a podcast. Yeah, but... now that I've mentioned it. Oh, it's like an angel. Uh, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, scary yeah, angel, that one. <laughs> so when Erica was on before, I talked with her about her first book, Bring Your Human to Work. Yeah. But you got to dig into her latest book, Rituals Roadmap. Mm-hmm. I got to ask, what was the question you most wanted to get an answer from her about? You know, when I think about rituals, uh, it's interesting because, you know, in my personal everyday experience, I feel like I don't have a lot of rituals that ground me. I know people do yoga, they meditate. In her case, you know, she gets her cup of coffee, very New Yorker, like she was such a New Yorker, gets her cup of coffee from Starbucks and smells it, and then she's in the present. And I don't know if I per se, have a daily ritual. But I mean, even going back to the theater days, you know, how how you would prepare to go on a stage. And that's something similar that that perhaps I do whenever I have a speech that I need to give at OC Tanner or a webinar. It's, you know, what are some vocal exercises? What are some body exercises to, to loosen up? How do I get centered to be present and to have the right energy and the right mindset to be in the moment, to be able to deliver on the best that I can? And so my rituals are perhaps more performance related, um, maybe not every day, but uh, they certainly have grounded me through the years in that aspect. And that's what I love about Erica is that as big as her ideas are, they can always come back down and apply to something in your personal life. You know, you, the, where you work, where you live, you know, it's a real special talent that she has for revealing what makes us tick. Yeah. Well, without any more delay, let's get to it. Erica, it's wonderful to have you here today. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. It's exciting to be here. (laughs) Well, let me go ahead and stop sharing my screen today so we can have this great discussion. Perfect. I did it without killing the entire Zoom link. I know, right? (laughs) It's always like, fingers crossed, you're hitting the right button, (laughs) but let's dive in here. A couple of years ago, in 2018, when your first book debuted, uh, you joined Andrew Scarcella, who is the host of OC Tanner's The Workplace Podcast, to discuss your book, you know, Bring Your Human to Work. Now, this topic seems especially relevant for our time right now uh, in the middle of COVID, so if you could share some thoughts and perspectives on what's happening currently and then how that generated your thoughts and interest towards studying rituals in the workplace. Um, you know, it's it's interesting. When I, I wrote Bring Your Human to Work, um, you know, you could never, none of us could ever have predicted what the world would be like today, and I've been doing a lot of talks around the topic of how to bring your human to work when you can't go to work. And, you know, I'm sure like you and myself and, and many of the people that are on the call today, we are believers in, in the human capital space and the importance of this topic, but not everybody agrees with us. And, and I had a, I'm used to the pushback, oh, this is the softer stuff. And I would always push back and say, well, the soft stuff is often the hard stuff and the really important stuff. And so one of the big shifts that I'm seeing now is that more and more people are getting it, that if you can create a more human workplace, a place where leaders are open to being themselves, to even being vulnerable, um, it's better for people and it's better for business. And so, you know, if you're managing a remote team, 
it's harder to build those strong relationships. But, you know, if you have that connection and some of the things that you were talking about in the introduction, it's going to be better for you and better for business. So I think it couldn't be a more, more important time. And the link between the two books is that after Bring Your Human to Work came out, I certainly did not think that two and a half years later, I would be doing this again. Um, I, I equate, I actually have three teenagers. So I equate it to in my life, childbirth, where I forget about the hard stuff and then kind of went for it again. Um, but I'm, I'm glad that I did with my children and with my, my, my second child book, my book child. But what I saw in Bring Your Human to Work was that the tools that many of the leaders were using, whether they realized it or not, or whether they called it that or not, one of the tools in their toolbox were rituals. And <laughs> they were using rituals to create connections to help colleagues connect with other colleagues, to help employees connect with customers, to help people connect better with themselves. And so I really just decided to take this deep dive into rituals. And I know we're going to get into this, but it's structured around the employee experience. And so we're going to, we can talk about rituals around onboarding, around meetings, around professional development and rewards and record, all of the different pieces that I know everybody here, you know, focuses on in, in their day to day. So that's how I found myself, you know, here today and writing this book on rituals. No, I think, I think that's exactly what, you know, when we teed up this conversation, when we spoke before uh, going live today is it's about being intentional. And this yeah. interesting situation has allowed us to see more, more of our colleagues than ever before. I think a lot of us, it's easy to walk in with our work persona and then leave. And we're seeing people in new and perhaps better and more human light than ever before. And that's from frontline all the way up to the executive suites, of course. Everyone's in the same similar situation. And the power of rituals can certainly, um, it just can't be denied in all of this. So let's talk about what rituals are and what they do. Um, so what is a ritual? What is it not? A lot of people might think a ritual is a habit, a reoccurring event, but it's not. So what is this distinction between both of those and why is that distinction important? So here's my definition of a, of a ritual. It, it has three component parts. The first part is that a ritual is something to which we assign a certain amount of intention and meaning. The second piece is that a ritual is typically something that has some type of regular cadence or repetition. It could be every morning. It could be once a day. It could be once a year even. And the third piece is that a ritual is something that goes beyond its practical purpose. So for example, you know, I'm sitting in my office and let's say the lights go out and I light a candle so I can see what I'm doing. You know, that's not a ritual. But if I light a candle every day at 5 p.m. to signify, you know, the end of the work day and the beginning of my time at home, and there's repetition, there is meaning and intention, it's signifying that transition, you know, that's a ritual. And as an aside, and maybe we'll get into some of this, you know, given that all of us are, or many of us these days are working and living in the same place, a lot of people have been reaching out to me to talk about these types of transition rituals to get them out of one headspace, you know, into another. So that's my working definition. And, um, and, and, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll get into sort of why that matters for us personally and, and, and for business. But I love that question because it kind of puts us on the same playing field in some, in terms of what are we even talking about? Yeah, no, absolutely. Can you give us an example of maybe one of your most favorite personal or professional rituals? So I'm going to share 
um, a ritual of mine, and it's actually my morning Starbucks, which I happen to have here. Um, the as an aside, my my Bring Your Human to Work, the first book was actually the title was inspired by Ashley Peterson, who was my Starbucks barista on the Upper West Side of Manhattan. Mm-hmm. But I share this ritual because I think it's a good example of how this was a routine. This was a habit, and there was a moment where it was transformed from a routine to a ritual. So I go to Starbucks every day um, if there's one near where I am. And pre-pandemic, I would get my coffee and I would sit in the Starbucks, which I can't wait to do again someday. And I would have my my moleskin notebook and working on my to-do list and cranking out my work and by 8 a.m. feeling feeling like superwoman. And one day I had this epiphany where I finished my coffee and I hadn't tasted it. And I, I was sort of bummed about it because not only you know, Starbucks is kind of expensive, but I really look forward to that first cup of coffee. I'm not an all day coffee drinker. So I really look forward to it. And in that moment, I thought, you know what, that's, you know, I, I was bummed about it. So in that moment, I shifted to now what is my morning coffee ritual? And I see a lot of people at putting things in the chat about um, coffee, coffee breaks. Coffee yeah. breaks. So now my ritual is, I get it every morning. Someday I'll be able to sit back in the store. Right now I bring it home and I put my hands on it and I feel the heat and I take a few deep breaths and and intentionally and consciously taste that first sip of coffee. It takes two minutes, but it but it it transitions me and gets me ready for the workday. And rituals, by definition, are really connected to our senses. Oftentimes what we see or what we hear, what we smell, taste, and feel. So this feeling that heat really centers me and grounds me, which is another part of the science of rituals. They really do ground us and they bring us some order out of chaos, which is even more important now in this pandemic than ever before. As you were talking, you know, it it reminded me of some of the work that I used to do to just bring myself into the moment, like what you said, to ground yourself, to center yourself, to be fully present. Um, You know, one of, you know, even when I was in college, one of the exercises that we explored was simply counting the lights in the ceiling and how that brings your focus into the present. Quite an interesting thing. Jordan, what have you been seeing here in the chat? It's certainly been uh, an amazing flurry over here. Yeah, definitely. We've been seeing some like rituals to start their work day so and then to end and conclude. So one of them was my new commute to and from work is to take my dog for a walk at the beginning and end of my work day. Um, another one is to change the type of music they're listening to and starting to dance. That seems like a fun one. Awesome. And then this was a good one. Also, when I first come into my office in the morning, I open the blinds. When I leave the office space for the day, I shut the blinds. I kind of like that because yep. sometimes it feels like you're just in the same room all day working from home. So that ritual going in and out of work. I love that. Oh, I'm taking a picture of love, learn, lament. I used to do an end of week project exercise with my team, love, learn, lament. Um, and I know we'll get into this, but one of the places where I think are sort of prime rituals, real estate, and there's two chapters in the book dedicated to it are beginnings and endings. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, my ritual and many of the other ones here, walking the dog, in the morning podcasts are our beginning rituals um, and bookending them with end of the day. But everyone here, you can think about it in terms of beginning of a project, you know, the beginning of a meeting. I mean, we're all having all of these meetings. So, so many great ways to, to incorporate rituals into things that we're already doing. 
Yeah, I love that. I love this uh, final comment that just kind of came through that just said, my husband and I walk into the office and celebrate a new day. I think, yeah, I mean, what a, what a year to celebrate every day that we have available to us. Well, you, you know, when I talk, when I was thinking about rituals, Eric, and some of the things that, that work for me at work, and I don't know if this necessarily uh, qualifies as a ritual, but it's something that's deeply meaningful to me. And it is actually my one-to-one meeting with my boss every week. That's something that has been uh, certainly a best practice that's been established um, this year is the regular one-to-ones with your boss or your superior that allows us to connect to things like purpose, celebrate your accomplishments, identify new opportunities, ask people how they are, right? How are you feeling? Like that tie to well-being. And that's something that I look forward to every single week. That's something that's very meaningful that I prepare for and uh, go in with with great expectations um, of what will transpire and come to pass. Um, I don't know if that necessarily fits the the super criteria of what a ritual is, but it's certainly something that um, has been beneficial and meaningful as a new employee to me, to ground me and center me in my new position. Well, what I would say to that is, I mean, there's, so there's the the definition and the way that I was able to help leaders when I was writing the book, come up with, oh yeah, that's our ritual. You know, that's our ritual at OC Tander. That's our ritual at Chipotle and LinkedIn and Starbucks and all these companies was I came up with the, with a way to ask it that would give people that light bulb moment to say, yes, that's a ritual. So I'm going to tell it, I'll give everybody the, um, the secret sauce of the question, Um, which is, okay, Megan, you know, when do employees at OC Tanner feel most OC Tanner-ish? You know, when do you feel most connected? So as an example, when I asked Marisa Andrada that question, who's the CHRO at Chipotle, Mm -hmm. she said, I got it. Um, At Chipotle every day at 10.15 a.m., before the doors open at 1030, which for the record, I had no idea how many people eat burritos and bowls at 1030 a.m., but I guess there are <laughs> many that do. Um, everybody stops what they're doing at Chipotle before the doors open and they eat together. They have a, they have a meal around the table and they connect and bring their whole selves. And so immediately when I said, what makes employees feel most Chipotle-ish? It's that family dinner around the table. So for you, I bring this up now because for you, if that one-on-one makes you feel most connected and most like part of this organization, then that's a ritual for you. And I think for everybody and every organization, it's going to, it's going to mean and feel like something different. Well, let's ask people that uh, in the audience, what makes you most OC Tanner-ish or company-ish of where you belong? What makes you develop that great sense of belonging. You know, Eric, it's funny because I reached out to my team members in preparation for our conversation today, and I got a variety of answers, interestingly enough. Some people said the daily emails that are sent by our executive team that talk about what's happening across, you know, our enterprise globally has allowed us to feel greatly connected to the organization, to each other. I know people who sit down and read those with their families at night, very meaningful, happens every evening. So that's a good chapter ending to what you were talking about, the early morning rituals and then the evening rituals that kind of close out the day or our responsibilities. You know, another person had said, 
you know, when I hear and I'm able to participate in our community events and our humanitarian efforts yep. in the community, it makes me feel really tied to the organization and that great sense of belonging. Um, Jordan, right. let's see what people are, are saying in the chat here. So yeah, one-to-ones with all of our quarterly employees, um, recognition huddles to celebrate someone. I think we'll be getting to that in just a few minutes here, uh, Erica. What else has been popping up? So there's lots of great comments. Um, so the company I work for has a weekly conference call. It's called the Stand Up. It's 10 minutes and covers different topics and time is always given for client experience story. Um, mm-hmm. That one was really great. And then Fridays after lunch, I organize my mail in different folders and then create a to-do list for the next week. And then I can enjoy my weekend peacefully. It's a really great idea. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. I love celebrating weekends peacefully. That's and for you, sure. you, know, you know what's interesting here in, in reading these, mm-hmm. um, and, and somebody else also mentioned the volunteer days. I think Sandy yeah. or Sydney Welch said that. When when rituals are often the most sticky, they are connected to our company values. You know, one of the things I talk about in Bring Your Human to Work that I'm so passionate about is mm-hmm. how do we get the values off the walls and into the halls? You know, I ask, I'll go to a conference, you know, back in the day in person and speak to 500 people and say, raise your hand if your company has a set of values. You know, every single person raised their hand. Keep your hand raised if people really know what they are and if they mean something and if they're connected. And I'd say fair amount of people then lower their hands. So when you think about these rituals, you know, if 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 giving back and volunteering and connecting and having, um, you know, these these stand ups and town halls, if they're connected, if communication is a strong value, that's when I find that they can really be sticky, and people know that's what this these rituals mean for our organization. They represent sort of the soul and the essence of who we are. Yeah, I think you bring up a great uh, uh, point as well in, you know, how you tell if if a ritual is a ritual or not. Well, would it be something, if it was taken away, would it be something that people would miss going forward, right? And um, and so with that, you know, I want to I want to talk a little bit about, you know, we're talking about rituals. What are, you know, we're obviously we want to, you know, wrap ourselves in a warm blanket. We want to be human. We want to have, you know, great relationships. Uh, at the end of the day, we're also businesses and we're asked to deliver on, on certain outcomes. So what is the business case for rituals? What's the ROI of all of this? So, you know, being in the human capital space, I, I feel very strongly, you know, I know, and I know we all on this call know that, that, that there are bottom line implications from here. And sometimes we need to sell that to other parts of the organization. So in all of my work, I, I, really strive and make sure that I share both the stories around my work, but also the science. So the, the, the ROI of rituals, um, I was able to pull it together in something that I call the three P's of rituals. Um, this is what rituals give us. The first P is rituals give us a sense of psychological safety and belonging and connection, which we know, you know that we need more than ever. The second P is that rituals give us an opportunity to connect to purpose and values, which is exactly what we were just talking about. And you add those two together and you get increased performance. We get it personally and professionally. So what do I mean by that? Personally, um, when, when we feel connected to each other, to ourselves, you know, in that moment, in my Starbucks moment where I'm feeling that connection to myself, my oxytocin, my feel-good hormones going through the roof, my cortisol, my stress goes down. And from a team perspective, I mean, you know, you, you all are in the, you know, many of you in the human capital space, you know this as well as I do, but one of my favorite studies um, that I highlight in the book is that when, when you work 
for a high trust organization when you can be your whole self and not check who you are at the door, collaboration goes up by 47%. Productivity goes up by 50%. And a high trust organization is one where you feel psychologically safe. And so it has one of those P's. And so that is why we're even here talking about this, that there is, it's good for us and it's great for our business. Oh, I think I think that's I think that's fantastic. And creating space for people is so very important. Um, one of the areas that we wanted to address today is how we make rituals inclusive. And you know, what is that fine line? If something no longer supports your values or the purpose of your organizations, what do you do? How do you adjust and adapt? Yeah, I think it's something. It's something so important to think about, um, especially now with all of us working remotely. Mm-hmm. We have to be even more intentional about making sure that what we do, you know, is inclusive. And I started thinking about this even in Bring Your Human to Work. There's a whole chapter on what I called playing the long game. How can we incorporate intentional work practices? And, um, you know, how do you know if, if some of these rituals are not inclusive? If if I ask you the question, you know, when do employees feel most, you know, like comp- like employees in your XYZ organization and every ritual or every connection point is around drinking and happy hour. You know, there are a lot of people that don't drink. If everything you do is after five or six o'clock, especially when we're at home and the workday is only expanding, you know, what about people with young kids or people taking care of elderly parents? Um, you know, I heard a crazy story. It's not in the book because it's very recent, but during COVID, um, it's a professional services firm, a group of employees, mostly men, were getting together every week during the pandemic. They didn't have to, you know, they weren't on camera that much and they weren't going out to see clients and they were letting their, having a beard growing, a facial hair growing contest. And then all of a sudden, you know, when the lone, you know, woman partner raised her hand and was like, are you kidding me? Um, clearly not inclusive. And so when you think about the rituals that you have in your organization, look at them through the lens of first your values, which we talked about, but also, you know, are, are these kinds of rituals that we have inclusive? You know, somebody, um, Stephen Luke just wrote, you know, what are types of inclusive rituals? You know, one thing I would share is that we're, we're in a lot of these Zoom meetings. So let's say you're in a meeting with, with 10 people with whom you work and you want to think about an inclusive ritual. I like to combine that with also thinking about ways that we can continue to check in with our employees, which is still important a year after you know this pandemic um, began. So one thing to do is to have, you know, go around the Zoom and have everybody give one adjective that describes how they are feeling in that moment on that day. And if you have a bunch of introverts that get nervous about that kind of stuff, let them know ahead of time, you know, that this is what what you're going to do. Another CEO shared that he does something similar where people give, you know, red light, green light, yellow light and kind of just share how they were they are showing up. And it does two things. Number 1, everyone is participating and you give them a heads up if if you need to. But number 2, it impacts your business because if I show up here and I say to Megan, you know, I am having, you know, and for the record, I'm, I'm out here. I'm in Colorado right now. I have five 15-year-old boys under my care. They're not all mine, but um, they're all homeschooling here. And, you know, to give her a sense of what's actually going on, I did send a group text saying, please be quiet um, for this hour. So, so far, so good. 
but she has a sense of how I'm showing up today. And, and so, or if someone shows up and says red light, you know what, maybe I won't give that person the client deadline mission critical project, or I'll, I'll give that person some help. So these are ways to include everyone, but also using these rituals to, to create deeper connections to, to help us personally, but also in our work. Absolutely. And a great connection to well-being, like what we talked about earlier, being able to gauge in and check in with that on a meaningful basis is certainly very critical this year. And it's going to be critical moving forward. I think we just set a new precedent for ourselves and what's required of our leaders and our organizations when it comes to our personal well-being and our health and what we're able to deliver according to our own very personal circumstances. You know, you got me thinking about a case study that I read earlier this year about inclusive rituals. And one of one of the things that's big in business, big in government, uh, you know, where, where I've come from is is golfing. It's the Friday afternoon golf. And that's something that, you know, is very meaningful for the people who participate in it. Um, however, it can be a little bit less inclusive than others. And I've seen, at least in this particular case study, which is awesome, somebody brought that to the attention of their leader. And he said, you know, you're right. So why don't we actually come up with a Friday afternoon activity? Everyone can have uh, a say, or, or everyone's kind of, you know, we calendar it out. And so maybe you know, Sherry takes this Friday, Matt takes this Friday, and we get to do something that they love that includes everybody. We get to learn more about them as a human and an individual, their hobbies and interests, and it includes everyone and everyone gets a voice and say in what happens. And I thought that was such a great adjustment on the part of, of that CEO. Now, you know, I had a question, we had a question over here that said, you know, what's the relationship between rituals and experiences? Are they the same thing? Are they different? We talked about those connections being uh, very thoughtfully crafted to create these very powerful experiences for people. Uh, Erica, do you have any additional comments? I think uh, they can be. They don't have to be, Mm -hmm. but but they can be. And it goes back to if there are certain experiences in your organization where there is meaning around it, which it sounds like based on the question that there is meaning around it, if there is some repetition, if it's one and done, it's it's not a ritual. But if you create some experiences um, that happen on a regular basis, and you again think about it through, I would say think about it through two lenses. One is if you were to ask people, like Megan, you ask your your team, you know, is this a time when you feel most like us? And yeah. then the second lens is would people go crazy if it went away? And that's another way. And you know, there's um, there's a great example of a ritual in the in the book from the company Allbirds about how they take this break every day at four o'clock called Forty at Four, where people stop and do push-ups, or if they don't want to do the push-ups, they watch the people doing the push-ups. Now they're doing them over video, and um, you know, if all of a sudden it stopped happening, people would think, "Is the company being sold?" Like it really is becoming part of the company culture. So those are two lenses that you can assess. Maybe this experience is part of. Uh, is a ritual. And maybe this one is sort of an experience. And sometimes we do it and sometimes we don't. Hmm. Very interesting. Here's a question. Can you create too many rituals? You know, I, yeah, I mean, you can, I think it could end up diluting, um, you know, and then we probably wouldn't get any work done either. So (laughs) yes, I mean, I, I think it, it almost would work itself out because if there are so many rituals I feel like there, it would almost sort of spread out to say, you know what, these are the ones that really are our rituals and these are things that we just do. I mean, you can't force feed a ritual. So I would say, you know, sometimes after I give a talk, people are all excited. Okay, we're going to go back and do 40 push-ups at four o'clock or, you know, we're going to do, 
you know, some of the great things that people are writing in the chat and it often doesn't work. It might stick, but, but it needs to be something that is organic and authentic to your organization. And so I wouldn't feel badly about if you try something and it doesn't stick, you know, so be it. You don't want to push people to do it because then it's certainly not a ritual. You want it to be something more that you, you know, you, that it's a pull that people really want to do it and participate in it. I think it's interesting. I think that goes back to your comment about, you know, what makes you so OC Tanner-ish or whatever Chipotle-ish, you know, coming from that organic space and then just creating a framework around it can certainly, can certainly get you there in, in a great organic way. Well, we are rounding out to the second half of our discussion today. And we talked a little bit earlier about these talent magnets that are meaningful connection points for people, purpose, opportunity, success, appreciation, well-being, uh, leadership, and so forth. So I want to discuss some of the great ritual types. We've had questions about this in the chat in the Q&A. You know, what are the different ritual types that we can kind of hang our hats on and really put some great shape around it? And we've seen a lot of great comments, um, in particular about recognition moments. So I'd love to start with that. We had a comment about the Bravo Cup, the Golden Hammer, which is so cool. So this year has certainly shed a light on the importance of appreciating and valuing and recognizing our people. And, you know, when I reached out to my team to say, you know, what is it that, you know, you're so connected with, with OC Tanner, what makes you feel OC Tannerish? Um, my colleague Daniel says, it certainly sounds like a broken record, but, you know, our career celebrations, other companies might acknowledge when a person has been at a company X number of years, but OC Tanner makes it personal, special, and deeply meaningful. It's not just an email. It's not just a note. It's an intentional community event that's really choreographed to really celebrate that individual and their contributions. So what are some great and powerful ways that you've seen rituals shape a recognition moment? Yeah. So many different ways. I mean, one of the things I would say, especially right now, as it relates to recognition, but in all of these different ways we've been talking from a best practice perspective is to really mix up the mediums. Meaning when you're thinking about how you're communicating, you know, many people have written in about um, their town halls. You can do things on Zoom, but everything, you don't need to do everything on Zoom. You know, you some people are, are having amazing rituals around recognition with sending handwritten notes, mailing things. I mean, every, who's not psyched these days to get something in the mail, um, <laughs> right? I mean, so yeah. I've seen it using so many different, mediums. And I think the ability to mix it up, um, even when we begin to go back to the office, you know, certain things happen over Zoom, certain things are in a town hall, you know, certain things are um, leveraging Slack or whatever instant messaging technology your organization has. What an amazing way to say, you know, so-and-so wins the whatever award and, you know, that's in Slack um, and we don't have to all get on a Zoom for that. And so we want to be able to connect in, in different ways. And what I love about some of the, the recognition examples in the book, I mean, some of them can have monetary um, re rewards and a cost associated with it, but many of them don't. And, you know, some of them start very organically. There's a company, dosomething.org is one of the not-for-profits in the book, and they have an annual weekly award and somebody gets a stuffed penguin and the stuffed penguin makes its rounds. And if I win it this week, I can then, Megan, give it to you for the following week. And, you know, it started by some guy had a penguin on his desk and he doesn't even work there anymore. But the ritual of this 
you know, $5.99 stuffed penguin, you know, continues on and is really, really meaningful. And, you know, I don't know if we'll end up talking about it today, but, you know, onboarding during this pandemic is something that is so challenging and critical. Like, how do you give people a sense of psychological safety and belonging when they've never stepped foot in the office? The former CEO, Arya Finger, shared with me that one of the very new employees got the penguin during um, the pandemic. She was hired into a business development role and there wasn't as much business development. She split her time between marketing and business development, got this award and was so blown away and and like excited, feeling connected. I mean, those are employees that are going to go so above and beyond. And recognition is a way to, to motivate that. You know, it's so interesting that you bring up this idea of mixing up the mediums. And that's a best practice that I've certainly learned here at OC Tanner, whether that's, you know, setting an e-card in, in, in ways that are built into our everyday delivery systems, whether that's through, you know, mobile devices or Slack or Teams, how that's folded in and integrated and how that allows us then to feel that appreciation to go above and beyond. And then when we're rewarded and called out for some of those results that we've created, that increases loyalty and wants us, you know, helps us stay and uh, celebrate those career milestone moments. I know I have one coming up in, in just a couple of weeks here, and I've participated in enough of these rituals, these, these recognition rituals to know what to expect. And so it's kind of like it's coming up. And I know that we're going to have some people gathered and some people are going to share their experiences, you know, working, you know, with me. And um, I'm going to get a symbolic award that symbolizes my greater connection with the organization and my achievements, a yearbook of memories with people I've never even met in person. You know, these opportunities, whether it's an e-card or whether it's a wall of uh, social celebrations that we can tie ourselves to or actual physical great gatherings and events um, or digital gathering and events, uh, mixing up the medium is certainly key to building a robust and holistic recognition program that ties people to these various culture aspects that, that certainly matter most. We talked a little bit, we're gonna go back to onboarding, but I wanna talk about professional development next because I think that's a big one this year. Agility is more important than ever before. We're having to figure out how we each personally become the Swiss army knives of our organizations uh, in the wake of change. And um, you know, some of our research at OC Tanner talks about leadership and certainly personal development is a precursor uh, in many ways to, to leadership opportunities. And, you know, we're at a critical juncture where younger generations are outright rejecting the traditional leadership model of directing and evaluating and gatekeeping. And they want modern leaders who mentor them and develop them and coach them. And interestingly enough, our research revealed this year that if an organization makes their professional development and programs inclusive and available to everyone, regardless of whether or not they actually manage people, the odds of having modern leaders in their organization increases by five times. Quite significant. So what are some ideas and ways that people can ritualize personal development to make it inclusive, to make it personal, and help drive great leadership outcomes for their organization? I love that. Actually, in um, my in Bring Your Human to Work, I have a whole chapter that's called Take Professional Development Personally. Yeah. And I, I do think that's the, the future, that, that development, you know, we whether we're working and living in the same place or we're, it, it, pro, pro, you know, professional development is personal. It just is. And we, we need to think about it through that lens. So I totally agree. A couple of the examples in the book um, that, that jump out, you know, the first happens to be a learning company. I mean, I mean it could be in a different company, but um, it's Udemy, the online learning company that's, that 
you know, it's ironic or, or maybe not so that they have a learning ritual, but it's called deal, drop everything and learn. And I, I love it that it is, you know, talk about inclusive, um, that every month at a certain time, they people drop everything that they're doing and focus an hour on mm-hmm. professional and personal development. Now they have an online tool, so you can go onto Udemy and take an amazing class. But what I loved about this story was that you know, it wasn't necessary. I mean, you could go take a class in a technical area that you wanted to, or you could do something, um, you know, that focused on your leadership style, or you could, if it was November and it was your drop everything and learn time, you could learn how to make a turkey, you know, and that's what some people did that it was, I mean, talk about personal, right? Um, You know, all of a sudden with the pandemic, you can't drive to your grandmother's house. So you have to make the turkey. It was perfect for this year. And so it really enabled people to, to ritualize. And again, when you ask that question, what makes people feel most Udemy-ish, it's, you know, around dropping everything and learning. You know, the other example in the book, and I know not every company can do this, but you can do pieces of it, is from LinkedIn. LinkedIn has an unbelievable ritual called in-day. And once a month, the entire day is focused on investing in yourself. And that's what in-day stands for, investment. And ironically, um, it was the idea came about from the CFO. You know, the person who's really looking at the bottom line said, you know what, let's have one day a month where we're not working. We're actually investing in our own personal and professional growth. So it's unbelievable. But what again, what I love about Inday, and I got to, there's a, most of that chapter in the rituals book is, is dedicated to this Inday story, is that um, it's, it's around these themes. You know, one is wellness, one is relationships, um, one is creativity. I got to participate in the wellness one, is that it goes back to what we were saying. No, you're not forced to do it. They create it and you can do it if you want and you do it in the way that you want. And so um, on wellness in day, you could do a meditation class. You could do a dance class. They had a, they had a wellness fair. But then I ran into a woman that I know in the cafeteria and she was in her exercise clothes. And she said, you know what? Today I jogged to the office. I had a couple of meetings and I checked out what was going on um, with the wellness fair and I jogged home. She said, I just haven't had enough time to run lately. I love to run. So that was a very personal way that she was able to experience the ritual of Inde. Oh, that's very cool. That's very cool. I love, I love that idea of, I mean, personal development isn't anything that's, um, only positive things can come out of it. You know, we're, we just have a few moments left before I want to turn it over to questions. And I want to talk about onboarding rituals, digital rituals, taking breaks, well-being. Um, let's talk a little bit about onboarding rituals. This hybrid and perhaps remote environment isn't going away. And it'll be a part of our future for sure. So how do we um, help people feel a part of our organization, you know, right from the get-go when we onboard them? You've got to be intentional. You know, the cheesy as it sounds, left to our own devices, it's not going to happen. And um, it's even trickier doing it this way. So, you know, onboarding starts the minute this person gets an offer to become part of your organization and your culture. So who's assigned to reach out to them, to connect with them, to see what they need? How can you begin to communicate the, the values of your organization and the ways in which they come to life? Can you give this person a buddy, somebody that's not on their immediate team 
to, to give them a sense of really what it's like to work in your organization. You know, send them some swag, you know, let them feel, you know, a part of it. You know, it's all of these little things that make such a big, a big difference. As somebody just wrote in the chat, they get a pre-boarding parcel and a buddy, we call them wingmates. Exactly. That's exactly what it is. And then on the very first day, you know, I think about when we were going to our office, the last thing you want to do is not know what to wear, not know where to park, you know, in the parking garage when your heart rate's, you know, going through the roof. And so make sure that that first day and that first week is very highly curated, especially as we are remote. And, you know, when we start to go back so that, you know, what are they going to do with when they first log on at 9 a.m. on that first day? What does the orientation look like? Who are they having lunch with? Send them a gift card and order from their local takeout place so everybody's having lunch together and people aren't multitasking during that first lunch. Who's checking in with them at the end of the week? So the more intentional and curated it can be, the better, um, especially during these times. Yeah, this was my first experience reporting with uh, onboarding with a company and a ro- and a remote environment, and they certainly couldn't have been more intentional about it. Uh, but it, it certainly was still a disconcerting kind of a new experience yeah. for me. So I agree. The more people can engage, that buddy idea is a fantastic opportunity. Um, thanks for those insights. Let's talk about digital rituals. You know, we're always on in the digital age, the camera's on. How do, I guess that's, well, so what are some good things about connecting digitally uh, during this time? How can we do that meaningfully? I know we can do it obviously during recognition moments and our one-to-ones, but a few more ideas. You know, I would say it goes back to matching up the mediums, to really being direct and having conversations about how best to leverage this technology. You know, I talk about how do we find the sweet spot between tech and connect? When should the technology be on? When should the cameras be on? When can they be off? You know, I, I, I really do believe that, let's say I'm managing a team, you know, one time in the week, let's all be on with our cameras reminding each other that there is a human behind the screen. But there might be other times where, you know, Megan, you and I can do a one-on-one and we can both go for a walk in our respective cities and be on the good old-fashioned phone and not have to look at each other and also get some steps in, which we all know is good for us. And so it's really not leaving it to chance and and to kind of get up, to get moving, utilizing breaks. We've got to take breaks. Um, you know, as often as we can, because we're sitting in front of these screens all day. You know, a woman from Facebook recently shared that she has a ritual called 20 by 20 by 20. Every 20 minutes, she takes a 20 second break, 20 feet from her computer, gets Hmm. up, takes a deep breath, does a stretch and gets back. So it's going to be different from all of you and all of your teams. But, but remember, we don't have to be on, and we shouldn't be on Zoom all day because we're going to implode. Yeah, it's interesting, you know, we we think about the past and at least the particular work environments that I've been in the past where, you know, taking a break was kind of viewed as wasted time. And are you a dedicated employee if you're taking breaks? And, and nowadays, I mean, that, I mean, we look back on those experiences and they were great connectivity experiences. Those water cooler moments actually helped forge some phenomenal relationships. And so, you know, I look at some of my peers who sure they, they went to the store and they grabbed some soda. Those peers that did that, they were tight knit in the office. And so um, it's an interesting conversation, this idea of taking breaks and we've got to take it breaks. Um, I've, I've certainly uh, folded those into my workplace uh, more and more, particularly since I'm not, uh, an office person, and uh, and they've been more important for my health than ever before. Well, we have a couple minutes for questions. 
Folks, if you have questions for Erica or us, feel free to pop those in the chat. We'll give us about five minutes to address those questions, and then we'll wrap up with some key takeaways, more information about how you can uh, get a hold of Erica's book and what's coming on the horizon at OC Tanner. So what questions might you have for her? Erica, I saw uh, some questions come in. Um, so one is, it's a challenge to come up with something that everyone would feel included in. Do you have any strategies on how to approach this, especially with um, rituals for diverse groups? I mean, I would ask them. I would get input. I mean, again, rituals can come from the top down, the bottom up, and the inside out. And so, you know, get get some ideas from people. Say, you know, we're on all these meetings. I'd love to start some rituals in the beginning of our meeting. You know, what do you think? And and see what they say. Some might want a moment of silence. Some might want a little meditation. Some might want to go around and give that adjective and try different things and, and see what sticks. But don't feel like you need to do it alone. Love that. Um, another question we got was, um, how long should a ritual last for and how do you know when it's time to retire it and incorporate a new ritual? Yeah. So I think you begin to see um, people not showing up um, or showing up reluctantly if you're being aware and kind of watching the body language and listening for it. Um, you know, somebody had written in the chat earlier, you know, the, you do get some eye rolls or people think it's silly. And so you need to sort of watch for that. And again, get, get that feedback. I would also go back to, you know, doing an assessment and sort of relooking at all of your rituals through the lens of the values. And if it's not aligned, I think it's time to, to move on. You know, somebody had also talked about, um, you know, who who should be involved in a ritual? And I, you know, I kind of go back to your Starbucks moment where it was like, that was a very personal moment for you. And yet you can extend rituals to just one other person or a group of people. These are very flexible uh, rituals. And I, I think it's obviously important, as you had mentioned, Erica, to have those personally and then understand how to incorporate them uh, with other people as yeah. well. You know, one, one of the things I would say to, to everybody listening is if you're thinking about incorporating rituals personally, you know, and professionally, yeah. a great place to start is by thinking to yourself, you know, what do I do in my life that makes me feel most like me? And it's a really, like, that question kind of stops people in their tracks. And I do, I feel most like me when I'm sitting there literally with my hands on this cup, taking that deep breath. You know, it could be at work with, you know, some of the gratitude sessions that people have been writing in about, or it could be when you take your dog for a walk. But that's why I called the book Rituals Roadmap, that the roadmap personally, look at the day in your life, in the morning, at night, over meals, over breaks, and at work through all the ways that, Megan, that you just sort of led us through, whether it's onboarding, professional development meetings, you know, and that's the idea that it's, you don't have to go for all of them, but think about the ones that make you feel most like you and the ones that make your company feel most like itself. You know, Erica, you bring up, uh, there's a great quote in your book and I'd like to read it. It says, uh, and this is the power of rituals, obviously in today's environment and obviously moving forward, but it said rituals are restorative and give us a sense of control when everything else feels out of control. So these are just kind of our reset moments. If, if what I'm hearing, if that's correct, Erica, Mm -hmm. These are our reset moments to, again, be grounded, remind us of who we are, what we what we love about ourselves and and the organization and, you know, where our purpose and uh, where we want to move our, our efforts and our energy moving forward. Yeah, no, a hundred, you can, and your family. I mean, it really hits every aspect of our lives. And I think as you as you take this conversation and go forward, um, it 
I don't know. I, I, it really, especially during this pandemic, has given me that sense of psychological safety. And you know, one thing I should add that you know, I, I finished this book in March. I was, I had to hand in the first draft on March 30th, two weeks after I was quarantining with my family. And I thought to myself, you know, you start writing a book well before you've ever heard of, you know, years before this. And I had an opportunity. Thankfully, I had some a few months in between when it was finalized to reach back out to many of the companies and many of the leaders in the books to see how they were adapting their rituals. And so the last chapter in the book now is called Rituals in Turbulent Times. And so, Megan, it gets exactly to how did we adapt and and how are we using it to, to reset? So I do feel so grateful that I had time to, to incorporate really what, what was going on in the moment. Last great. One last question, and then we'll wrap up. Um, I thought this was interesting because many organizations have various locations throughout the U.S. or multinationally. And one of the questions that we had is, you know, how do you create rituals that help people, um, I guess they said, create a uniform culture throughout the entire footprint, but really connect these various locations and branches to what matters most to the organization? How do you do that? I feel like I a little bit sound like a broken record, but I do think it's through the values. I think that each department, each country, I mean, there are going to be different rituals and there should be, and then they can be celebrated and you can share these rituals across departments or across regions. But there are going to be some things that hopefully make the whole company feel most like them. So it could be the annual conference. It could be the weekly or the monthly town hall. It could, I mean, so it depends on your organization, but the way that I typically see it is that there are a few things that connect everybody. And then from there, there's a lot of adjustments and changes and cultural nuances that can, that that can be celebrated, which I think is part of the, the magic, quite frankly. I think that's all great ideas. Well, Erica, it's been a pleasure to have you here. I'm going to go ahead and um, move along in our slide deck as we wrap up. We appreciate everybody's engagement in the chat. Jordan, thanks so much for facilitating those Q&As. Just a couple of key takeaways from our discussion today is that, you know, rituals are certainly powerful. They harness two core elements that every human needs to succeed, psychological safety and purpose. And that allows us to then um, create performance and help us succeed. You know, when you're asking, when you're wondering if a uh, ritual uh, is something that uh, is in within your company, ask yourself, is this going to make you feel O.C. Tannerish? And these answers, you know, point to truly original, very effective, atom level type of events and interactions that make people feel like they belong to the company. Would someone miss it if it was gone? So now is the time to be intentional about your culture. Um, I can't say enough about Erica's book. She has some phenomenal examples in here. Anything from obviously recognition moments, professional developments, taking breaks, digital interactions, and so much more. And I love this final quote um, that you feature in your book, Erica, from a Go Health employee that says, if we go back to the way that things were, we will have lost the lesson. And that's the key to moving forward. So with that, uh, if anyone would like to receive a copy of Erica's book, go ahead and follow us on social media at OC Tanner, Twitter, Instagram, or LinkedIn. And um, and we, we will be sending uh, uh, 50 lucky winners a copy of Erica's Yay. book. So we look forward to engaging with you there, Erica. Um, you, you might have some opportunities as well. Is that what I understand? Yeah. Yeah. So I'm excited. Yeah. I want to see what everybody, what, what you took away and what you enjoyed. So, you know, put it out there on social and copy both of us so we can see what resonated. And I also just put in the chat, um, I've been 
getting a lot of, putting a lot of thoughts around, you know, the hybrid revolution, as I've been calling it, is coming, it's here. Um, you know, good, bad, and indifferent, it is here. We are starting to think about what it's going to look like when we go back to the office. So I put together one pager called How to Lead in the Hybrid Revolution. So I just put it in the chat. If you want a copy, you can email me at info at ericakesman.com. And, you know, I love these kinds of events. I love hearing from you. And so please be in touch. Erica, thank you so, so much for joining us today. It's a pleasure. It's been a pleasure to learn about rituals. And uh, we look forward to staying in touch and connecting again. Thanks, everyone, for attending. And we'll see you next time. Now it's time for Tangible Takeaways, where we take big ideas out into the cul-de-sac for their first bike ride without training wheels. Holding the back of the seat as they pump the pedals, gathering speed, then letting go and watching them ride away, still wobbling a bit, but look at them go. Look at them go. Oh, it's so precious at this age. The first, is that rituals are an essential part of any intentional employee experience. What is a ritual? To Erica, there are three things that define a ritual and make it more than just a habit. One, it has intention and meaning. Two, it has a regular cadence or repetition, once a day, once a year, once in a while. Three, it goes beyond a practical purpose it has a larger meaning. In other words, it doesn't matter what the ritual is, it's the meaning behind it that makes it powerful. A good test is to ask yourself, if I took it away, would people miss it? Feel less connected? Less aligned? Might be a ritual. The second is another three, the three P's of ROI, for rituals. The first is psychological safety, a known cause of team cohesion, trust, and ultimately, innovation. The second is purpose. Rituals, done right, are extensions of the values that drive your organization. And lastly, performance. Not just personal performance, mind you, team performance and organizational performance too. Rituals are the support beams of workplace culture, connecting the foundation to the rest of the house. The third is an audio ritual that we do here at the workplace before we do an interview. It's a tiny song played in a kalimba by our editor slash composer, Daniel Foster Smith. It's just for us, and we rarely include it in the final cut. But I like to think it sets the tone for each conversation. A few calming notes to allow everyone to breathe and settle before the questions start flying. Shh. Go ahead, Daniel.
As always, this episode was written and produced by yours truly, with original music and sound design by Daniel Foster Smith. If you liked this episode, or even if you didn't, please rate, review, and of course, subscribe to The Workplace on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. If you have a burning question about workplace culture or a story about why your workplace culture is the best or worst, send it to theworkplace at octanner.com. The Workplace is sponsored by OC Tanner, the global leader in engaging workplace cultures. OC Tanner's Culture Cloud provides a single, modular suite of apps for influencing and improving employee experiences through recognition, career anniversaries, well-being, leadership, and more. If you want your organization to become a place where people can't wait to come to work in the morning, go to octanner.com. Minor, we'll say a minor genius that is underappreciated in his time. As are most composers, right? <laughs> Indeed, <laughs> he's right on track to be the next. No, Mozart was famous in his time. Okay, let me think of another one. <laughs> <laughs> John Bon Jovi. <laughs>